Good morning. Welcome to worship at First Presbyterian Church of Columbus, Georgia. We're glad that you're here to join us as we worship God by offering our prayers and singing songs and listening to scripture. Please come in with us that we may worship God together. first reading this morning comes from Psalm 119. It is a long psalm, over some 170 verses, and it is a uh, meditation on the law that had been given to uh, the children of Israel. Let us listen that we may hear. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will observe it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Turn my heart to your decrees and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at vanities. Give me life in your ways. Confirm your servant, your promise, which is for those who fear you. Turn away the disgrace that I dread, for your ordinances are good. See, I have longed for your precepts. In your righteousness, give me life. The word of the Lord. The New Testament reading comes from Paul's letter to the church in Rome um, in the 13th chapter. Let us listen that we may hear what God will say to us. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For the love before the one who loves one another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is in fulfilling the law. Besides this, you know what time it is, how it is now the moment to what for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is near, and it is nearer now than when we became believers. The night is far gone, the day is near. Let us lay aside the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us live honorably as in the day, not in reveling and drunkenness, not in debauchery and licentiousness, not in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. The word of the Lord. How is it we are to live? Just what are we to do? Seeking answers to that, those sorts of questions can be called looking for wisdom. And the Bible is full of wisdom. In fact, there's a section in the Old Testament that is called the wisdom literature. The Protestants classify five books in this way. Job, Psalms, Song of Solomon, and Ecclesiastes, and Proverbs, too. Those five books are the, what we look to for providing wisdom, basic common sense for the way things live. But these 
are really there to answer some pretty large questions about life. Why is there suffering? How do we make our way in the world? How do we live in a creation that can at times be so seemingly fickle and yet so much of the time is so absolutely marvelous? What is the nature of evil that we deal with? This is, these, these questions are things that are part of the focus of this wisdom literature, and there, there are times in the New Testament where this emphasis also comes forward, and it strikes me that Paul is speaking to that when he writes to the church in Rome in this section. Paul lifts up how it is we're to live with each other, and he provides some, you could just say, some common sense guidelines Another translation of the Bible put the first several verses this way, don't be in debt to anyone except for the obligation to love one another. Whoever loves one another, loves another person, has fulfilled the law. The commandments, don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't desire what others have, and any other commandments are all summed up in one word. You must love your neighbor as yourself. Love doesn't do anything wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love fulfills the law. All the commandments are there to point us to a different way of living, to point us to how we can live together, how we need to be thinking of living together. Yet we all know that it's not always that easy to get from where we are to where things might be better. We focus on other things, for the hour has, is coming, Paul says, when there will be darkness, where there will be uncertainty, where there will be inappropriate behavior, even among Christians. How is it that we are to live? But he closes that off by saying, to get ready for all of that, you need to put on Christ. Other uh, translations say, dress yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on Christ is a, is a formula for saying, claim your baptism. If you have been baptized, you have this promise within you to live in faith and hope, to find a way forward for all that is good. Putting on our baptism is important. Paul also speaks of a couple of different ways that we might get dressed by putting on. In Ephesians 4, he wrote, Put on the whole armor of God, so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our struggle is not against our enemies of flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil and in heavenly places. Therefore, put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand that evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, and fasten the belt of truth around your waist and put on the breastplate of righteousness as shoes for your feet. Put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. With all these, take the shield of faith, which you will be able to quench the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, 
which is the Word of God. This is very dramatic language. Some might even say strident. And there are times and places when we need to be strident in the world. There are times and places when we need to confront that which is wrong and evil and not useful for the world. As emergency preparedness crews responded to the disasters recently in Texas and now in Florida, and those who are responding to horrible floods in Asia, even also this week, they needed protection. They needed outer layers that would keep them safe, as safe as could be under the circumstances. Hip waiters for slogging through and trying to rescue people in flooded homes. Good boots, reflective, reflective vest, flashlights, gloves. They needed protection from those elements. Sometimes, maybe not always, they had them, but they persevered anyway. Putting on the whole armor of Christ also has feelings and implications within our larger world, our political world. Ever since Jimmy Carter identified himself as an evangelical Christian, there has been in American politics this focus on what evangelical Christians want. And I don't have to tell you that that, that uh, rhetoric has ratcheted up over, increasingly over recent years. But there are other Christians that may disagree with some of what this is, but I think all Christians would agree that there are times we need, not agree, but, but be, be in certainty, there are times we need to protect ourselves from those things that are wrong and evil. And we debate about what that is and how that works its way out, but we live in that world nonetheless. Some criticize churches, mainline churches, like the Presby our Presbyterian church, other churches as well. But recently, in, in recent years, it has been noted that all Christian communities are declining in their influence and in their numbers. And there are lots of reasons given for this. 30, 30 years or so ago, a group of sociologists led by Robert Luthnow and Wade Clark Roof said, well, the, one of the reasons is Presbyterians and Methodists and Baptists and Episcopalians aren't having babies fast enough. You're simply not replacing yourself. There's a birth rate decline. That was one of those. Tony Campolo, an evangelical preacher and, and revivalist and theologian, says that it's because we have gotten sucked into the comfort of the culture. He called it affluenza. We are focusing more on our material desires than our, on our needs to serve God. He suggested going out and looking at the parking lot of any, any church and what kind of cars there are there and what that may mean. Church historian Marty, Martin Marty thinks that we've gotten distracted from what matters. Pastor and editor John Buchanan suggests that we aren't doing enough mission work, both in the church and in the world at large. We become more focused on our internal needs. Methodist Bishop Will Williman says that other people are doing what the church has historically done just at more convenient times. In fact, he put it this way, Rotary meets at a more convenient time. And they do good work. And I know there are a number of Rotarians here, and I have been a Rotarian. Yes, those clubs, all the service clubs do good work. 
But they're not quite church, are they? William Parker suggests that maybe all of these challenges can be summarized in not so much attention that we give them, but, but maybe something more fundamental. All of these flow from our lack of willingness to offer forgiveness. Ooh, that's a big one. I know that's a big one. Each week when we come in here and we say the Lord's Prayer, we say, forgive us our debts or sins or trespasses. We'll acknowledge, you know, the whole span of, of, of those words. Forgive us. But the next sentence is, as we have forgiven. There's a, a relationship there. There's a, a way of figuring out how we move forward. And that is tough stuff. It is really tough stuff. I don't have to tell you that. Sometimes we can't be in the same room with the person we need to forgive. Maybe they're dead or they've moved or they're far, they're far away from us emotionally and, and it's just not good for us to, to, to be in the same room with them. We simply can't. But sometimes it's because we're struggling to find ways to ask for their forgiveness as well. Who wants to admit they need to be forgiven? That's a very hard thing. How do we extend this? How do we make this way, this way forward? The scripture in Romans and from Psalms as well suggests that love God and love other people. And when you do that, then you will extend Christ's presence. Then you will be doing the work of God. How we do that throughout all those challenges is hard. And we almost have to script it, write it up before we do it. It's not something you simply go out and do on the spur of a moment. The anonymous movements has a, a, a list, the, the so-called 12 steps. And it's not until you get down to like step nine or 10 that you are ready to after you've made your moral fearless inventory, are then ready to find ways to interact with those people for whom you want to offer forgiveness and for those from whom you need forgiveness. Scripture suggests that we do that. We don't do that until we find ourselves dressed appropriately by putting on Christ. As Margaret read the call to worship this morning, she said, she used verses from Colossians, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against one another, forgive each other, as the Lord has just forgiven you. There's that forgiveness piece again. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. That word harmony, I think, hangs out there. 
when music is played, it is the harmonies that amplify the beauty. Certainly, unison can be wonderful. But harmony gives us a way of hearing things that we would not otherwise hear. It allows voices of different range and pitches to sing together. Sing not simply in the sense of singing music, but sing in the sense of making our souls sing. Love binds everything together in perfect harmony. Clothing can be fun. It really can be. When I was in uh, middle school, uh, my family went to New Orleans, and we went shopping for, um, for some clothes at a prominent um, department store there. It was, at the time, it was called Godshaw's. I don't know if it even still exists, but um, it was sort of like the old riches in Atlanta or Pazitz in Birmingham. And we went shopping, and we went. I, I was at, just at that age when I was beginning to need suits. And we went into the, the men's department, and there was this cranberry red velour suit. Oh, man, I wanted it. I didn't get it, but I wanted it because clothing can be fun. I now have a red car, so that's, I guess that's my way of paying back my mother. But we want to have excitement and goodness, and that is so important. But also we need to remember our purpose. We need to remember the purpose of sharing love with other people, not simply for orderly purposes, but so that we lift up and glorify God. We manage the functionality of our faith clothing by sharing our hope and love for God in Christ. We can't be responsible how other people are going to respond to what we put out there. We can only be responsible for how we share that message, how we prepare ourselves. The words from Psalm 119 and from Romans ring out. It's not just a matter of turning away from something. It is a matter of turning toward. All too often we focus on this turning away this idea that we are moving away from the flesh, as Paul calls it. But what are we turning toward? We're turning toward a life of the Spirit that we know in our flesh. We can only know in our flesh. We can only experience the world through this mass of protoplasm that you have, that I have, that each of us has. Instead of thinking of a negative list, maybe we could think of another list we could say, instead of simply turning away from debauchery, we could turn toward benevolence and virtue. Turning away from drunkenness, we could turn toward sobriety and wisdom. Turning away from licentiousness, we could turn toward responsibility. Turning away from quarreling, we could turn toward harmony. Turning away from jealousy, we could turn toward gratitude. When we do these turns, then we 
enter and live in a way that is wise. And we live in a way that is fruitful and is filled with hope. When we make these turns, not in the completeness of, not, not in getting it all right, but in getting some of it right each time, each time we get some of it right, we put on the clothing of Christ. And through that, we share God's love in the world. Thanks be to God. Amen. It's been a privilege to join you this day in worship. We're glad that you were here. First Presbyterian Church seeks to serve and minister in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord be kind and gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you with favor. Go in peace as you love and serve God.